Come on, he who the sun sets free is free indeed, amen. Come on, you're free. You're free. You're free. Amen. The devil's going to try and trick you that you got chains on, that you can't do that, you can't go there, you can't live in favor, you can't live in healing, you can't live in blessing, but you're free. Amen. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. What a great way to start your Sunday. Come on, I'm glad to be in church. Anyone glad to be in church today? I'm going to read to you from Ephesians. I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 6. You can get that ready. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to go verse 13 uh, through to verse 20. And so just get that ready on your phone or your Bibles. And, um, but as we get ready for that, I just want to tell you that today God wants to speak to you. God wants to strengthen you. God wants to help you. God wants to bless you. God cares about you. God, does, God never leaves you. And if you've got a fight coming, God wants to be in the fight with you. Amen. And I've been preparing this message uh, this week, and uh, I spent about 20 hours preparing the message this week. And usually I spend, I don't know, 10 to 15, 10 to 16 hours. And this week, about 20 hours. That's on top of regular responsibilities. You know, I, I preach nearly every week, and I'm the lead pastor still. So, uh, And then I traveled to Phoenix, had a couple of meetings down there. We had our staff Christmas party on, on Friday night, cowboy theme. I nailed it. I'm just saying I nailed it, all right? Just wait till you see the photos online. You'll be looking for a new church after that. But, um, but no, we had a lot of fun. But, but on top of all that, spent another 20 hours at least uh, preparing this word for you, trying to find the best ways to tell you these truths. And I don't say that so that you'll be wowed, like, dude, prepared, Right? I'm, not, I'm not telling you so you'd be a wowed at my commitment or anything like that. In fact, it could have the opposite effect. We could get to the end of the service and you'd be like, seriously, 20 hours and that's all that we got? <clears throat> that's it? You can't do better than that with 20 hours? Right? So it might not work out in my favor. But I tell you that, not, not so you'd be wowed, but so you understand how much I value these next 45 to 50 minutes in your life. All right? that we will put in nearly every week between 10 and 20 hours of preparation for the Word, finding the best way to communicate the truth of God's Word to you, that it would change your life, empower your life, and help you live the life that God designed for you. And we take it very, very seriously. There's a lot of power in our worship, and there's a lot of power in our fellowship, and there's a lot of power in that moment where we submit ourselves to the Word of God. And so today I'm preaching a sermon titled, On That Evil Day, okay? On That Evil Day. And we'll read to you from chapter 6, verses 13 through to 20. And uh, it starts with, therefore, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, <clears throat> and as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and all supplication. Uh, to, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. Someone say boldly. To proclaim the ministry of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. He was in prison when he's writing this incredible word to us, right? That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Does anyone here want to receive from God today? Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these next 45 to 145 minutes, however long we take, Lord God. We thank you for this moment. And we thank you that it's powerful, that your word is like a double-edged sword, Lord. And we ask that you would use this time to bless us, to, to help us, to encourage us, but also, God, to chisel some things off our lives, to help us understand the things that we can do to strengthen ourselves ready for that evil day, ready for when the fight comes. And God, I pray you help me to preach your word boldly as I ought, that your people could preach it also boldly as they ought. In Jesus' name, someone say, Amen. Amen, amen. Come on, you can high-five 37 of your neighbors, and then you may take your seat. Oh, oops, my note said 327, so I got confused. No, I'm just playing with you. Hey, by the way, if you're new to Eternity Church, welcome to Eternity. My name is Jesse. Um, I'm the lead pastor here and so grateful that you came here today. Uh, uh, welcome home. I really do believe that if you come back uh, next week, the week after, and make it a habit in your life to be in the house of God, uh, particularly here at Eternity Church, you will find that God is good, that His favor will be poured out on your life, and you'll find yourself strengthened to live the life that God designed for you without bowing down to the world and what they plan for you. Amen? And so we got a gift for you after the service out there in the lobby. Uh, just find someone in a yellow shirt that says, Gotcha Crew. Uh, ask them whether you can get your free gift. They'll give it to you immediately after the service. Just our way of saying thanks for coming to church today. I uh, also want to point out my shirt says 100% American, and uh, people were teasing me in between the two services saying your shirt is a lie. It's talking about the shirt, not the man in the shirt, all right? The shirt is 100% American, all right? And my heart is 100% American, all right? <laughs> and so I may come from the People's Communist Republic of Australia, uh, but in my heart, I'm a freedom-loving American, just like you. So anyway, so... We should probably preach now, right? <laughs> yeah? We should probably preach, yeah? Come on. It's so good to be here, though, seriously. Um, but I want to preach to you about um, what you're going to do on that evil day. That scripture said that you may stand on that evil day. And that is my heart and my prayer, that you would stand on that evil day. What evil day? That evil day that you're tempted to walk out on your family. What are you going to do on that day? 
on that evil day that you're tempted to walk out on your family, are you going to bow down on that day or will you stand firm in the Word of God where God said, let none separate those who might have joined together? Will you, will you bow down or will you stand firm? Is it till death do us part or will you bow down? What are you going to do on that evil day? The devil is planning a day that he wants you to throw it all away. What are you going to do on that day? On that evil day where you're tempted to throw your life away for 30 minutes of pleasure, what will you do on that day? Will you bow down for momentary sinful pleasures or will you stand firm on God's word and on God's plan for marriage and for sex? What will you do on that evil day? What will you do on that evil day where the devil tempts you to walk away from your faith because the pressure and the abuse of this world has become too much for you to bear? Will you bow down? Will you walk away or will you stand firm? In 1 Peter 5, 8, the Word of God says, Be on guard for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. The devil has a plan to take you out. And he hopes that you don't have a plan. He hopes you don't. He hopes you think that that day will never come, that I'll never be tempted to cheat on my spouse, that I'll never be tempted to walk out on my family, that I'll never be tempted to steal from my boss, that I'll never be tempted to commit fraud or tax fraud or whatever, that I'll never, he wants you to think that that day's never coming so you don't have a plan and you don't have any tools to stand firm on that day. But the question is, what will you do? It's my prayer that on that day, on the day that the devil takes his biggest swing at you, that he swings and a miss. It's a swing and a miss. Amen. That's my prayer. That he loses steam and you walk away with your head held up high looking back at that day with a testimony for others that says, I stood firm on that evil day and you can too. On that day you lost a loved one, still standing, still believing still got faith in God. On the day you're tempted, more than you've ever been tempted before, you're tempted and able to mess it all up, but you can say, still standing, still married. On the day you're given a choice between your faith and your job, that you could say, still standing, firm in my faith, amen. In the Bible, it's full of stories of people who bowed down, people who gave up, people who lost everything, people who when the fight came, they ran away, people who loved the Lord or professed to do so, maybe they did, but they did nasty, terrible, horrible things anyway. And these stories, I'm glad they're in the Word of God because they're great reminders that when we fail, there is hope, amen, that after a mess, redemption is available. Can I get an amen? That after the fall, restoration is not only available, but restoration is God's plan for your life. He plans to redeem the time and to restore you. Amen. That's God's plan. And I thank God that, that His grace covers all of us when we bow down, when we gave up, when we run away, when we do nasty things. God's grace covers us. 
David, Solomon, Jonah, Moses, they're all great reminders that our behavior is not the final word, that God's grace sustains our salvation, even in our worst moments, that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. That's what the word of God says. But those are great stories that remind us of God's restoration. But there's also stories in the word of God of men and of women that did not bow down. They did not throw their lives to the wolves. That when push came to shove, they stood up. They stood strong. They stood firm, full of courage and full of godly integrity. Because although it's fantastic to know that when we fall or when we fail, our salvation is sustained by the grace of God, wouldn't it be even better to not put our families through that pain? Wouldn't it be even better to not mess with our employers like that, not to hurt our spouses or break our children's heart? Wouldn't it be better to know that moving forward, that there's a better way to stand firm in the face of the devil's biggest swings? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that be greater? Right? I, I've said it before. Growing up, I was always disappointed that everybody else had these great testimonies of how my life was messed up, but God. And I was like, I yelled at my dad, but God. You know? Like, I was always like, I don't have that awesome testimony, but, but standing firm is an awesome testimony. It's awesome. It doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else, but I thank God. That he, that he equipped me with the tools at a young age so that at an older age, I didn't have to mess it all up. God did that, amen? You can, you can see God do that in your life too. Last week, I mentioned um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're great examples of men who stood firm. Great examples of men who they did not bow down on that evil day. See, 20 years before that day, before that evil day, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He had a dream of a statue. That statue represented the fact that God's kingdom will never end, uh, but, that, but that the kingdoms of men will come and go, and specifically that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would be replaced by another kingdom, which would be <coughs> replaced by another kingdom, and then by yet more kingdoms, right? And so he saw in his dream this statue, the head of gold, and then portions of the statue were in, in bronze or, or, or in silver or, or in clay. And that represented, he was the gold bit, uh, Neb was the, 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 the king of the current kingdom, but then that other kingdoms would follow him. Now, when he learned of this, he, that, that God's kingdom is unending, that God's dominion will never end, that his ways will always be, but that the kingdoms of men shall perish, when he learned of this, he bowed down to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But then after 20 years of that, his heart had changed. And now at this point, he has decided that I will not bow down to their God, but that they and everybody else will bow down to me and my unending kingdom. <clears throat> so he made a statue. The statue was very similar to the statue that he saw in his dream. But this statue was similar but different. This statue was made entirely of gold, representing King Nebuchadnezzar's unending kingdom instead of God's unending kingdom. This one did not represent what God said. It represented what King Neb said. 
Then Neb made a decree or a mandate that everybody must bow down to this image that represents... Sorry, I just threw that in there for fun. Uh, And people were laughing and it's like, you got to hold up for a second. All right, we'll go back to that. He made a decree that everyone must bow down to this image that represents the very opposite of what God had said. See, bowing down didn't just represent worshipping this other false God. It wasn't just worshipping, or it wasn't just idolatry, which is sin and is terrible and is bad. But it was also, in this case, a specific affirmation. Bowing down was a specific affirmation of a narrative or an action or a way of life that was in opposition to what God had said should happen. And the king said, anyone who doesn't affirm what I say over what God says will be, ba- will be bound and thrown in to the fiery furnace. And all of God's people bowed down. All of them bowed down, almost. Like there was a lot of God's people in Babylon at this time. In the A lot of people were there. Heaps of God's people. And everybody bowed down. Have you ever felt like that? You're like, man, everybody is bowing down to ungodly things. God, I don't want to be the last one. I'm willing, but God, please have somebody else stand up, right? You ever felt like that? Right? That's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt. All God's people were bowing down to, in affirmation of a narrative that opposes God. All of them bowed down, but not Shadrach, not Meshach, and not Abednego. They did not bow down. So then the king called them in, and he let them know, you can still bow down. If you bow down, you'll be one of us. If you bow down, you'll be able to keep your life. If you bow down, you'll be able to keep your positions of authority in the land because they'd been set up as rulers over all of Babylon, right? But if you don't bow down, you're going to die. And then at this point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make one of the most amazing statements in all of the Word of God. I absolutely love it. If you grew up in church, you know it. If you grew up in church, you probably sang songs about it. I could sing a song for you too, but uh, the staff keep reminding me that nobody wants that. And so every time I sing in church, they're like, bro, we lost 10 people this weekend. They even wrote it on the exit form, you know. But if you grew up in church, you know the statement, right? Standing by the fiery furnace, speaking directly to the king. They say, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods and we will not bow down. What an incredible statement to make, right? Like, God is able to deliver us. God is going to deliver us. But even if he does not deliver us, we will not bow down. Now, I always laughed at that bit there because it seems so contradictory, doesn't it, right? Like, I am going to the supermarket now. But if I don't go to the supermarket now, you know, it's like, wait, but are you going or are you not going? <clears throat> is he... Is God can save us, God is going to save us, but if he doesn't save us, and I'm like, 
what's happening here, right? I'm like, maybe the, the three dudes wrote it individually, right? Like Shadrach's like, our God can save us. And Meshach's like, and our God will save us. And Abednego's like, but if he doesn't, you know, I don't know what happened there. You know, I always got so confused by that. I thought maybe it was like when, when, when some of us pray, you know, when we pray those great big prayers of faith, but then we end it with, if it's your will, you know, like, like, you know, if it's, and, and we do, we're like, you know, like, God, I pray you, 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 you heal my dad. God, I pray you heal him in the name of Jesus. He's going to be healed. If it's your will. You know, and we add the if it's your will so that like if, if they don't get healed, we can be like, well, I prayed a good prayer. <laughs> he just didn't want to heal you. You know what I'm saying? Right? You know, I do like the if it's your will. You're, like, you know, it's like a twist on the your will be done. But what it really is, it's a fear that we don't want that person to think we didn't pray a good prayer. So we add a little caveat at the end, right? Or maybe we don't really have faith. So we just say that just in case. Y- y'all know what I'm saying? And so what I do when I pray like that is I say, God, I know according to the word of God that it is your will to heal. So I pray that you do. Amen. Because I've read the book and I know it's his will. Amen. So I pray that you do. I always thought that maybe that that was like that. You know, it's a little caveat at the end. But what's interesting that even if he does not, it's not a capitulation that God might not save us. It's confirmation that my standing firm isn't about some reward at the other end. It's confirmation that my standing firm is not based upon the circumstances of my life. I'm I'm not standing firm so that I can be healed. I'm not standing firm so that I can keep my job. I'm not standing firm so that I can get a pay. I'm standing firm because it is in my heart a commitment to honor God in all, through all, and above all things in my life. I ain't standing firm to get something. I'm standing firm because I'm committed to somebody. Amen. That's what's happening right here. He's saying, hey, but even if he didn't, you need to know I'm not standing firm so the fire doesn't burn me. I'm standing firm because it's the right thing to do. Regardless of my feelings, regardless of the pressure, regardless of the opportunities that may or may not come my way, regardless of the consequences or the situation, I ain't bowing down. That's what he's saying. I ain't bowing down. And the question is, what will you do on that evil day? On the day you have the opportunity to throw it all away. All that you have lived for. All that you have worked for. All that you have prayed for. Everything you have stood for. For 50 years. What will you do on that day? Will you stand firm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Will you stand firm like Paul wrote to the Ephesians? Or will you bow down? I have so many friends that feels like who have given up because it got hard or it got hot. It's hot by the fire. So many friends in ministry who made commitments before God to stay married Till death do us part. Why am I hitting marriage? Because it's one of the area, one of the biggest areas where the devil will try and take you out, ruin your marriage, and mess with your sexuality. 
It's what he'll do. And I have friends who committed, ministers, pastors of churches. They committed before God to stay married till death do us part. But when push came to shove, it turns out what they really meant was until a more sexy woman turn up, shall we part? Or till I find a spouse who just really gets me, shall we part? And they throw their ministries away. And they throw their churches away. They throw their children under a bus that without God's help, they won't get out from. All because they wanted a brand new story instead of a redemption story. Or maybe they wanted a fix on their timeline, not on God's timeline. Like maybe they, they said something similar to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but similar but like different. You know, they said, we will not bow down. Our God is able to save us. But if he doesn't, in the next 30 seconds or so, we will bow down. <clears throat> All right? God, save us, they say, standing in the crowd. We won't bow down, they say, looking at the king. But it's hot by the fire, so we might over there bow down. It's smoking hot by that fire, isn't it? All right? That doesn't have to be your story. That's what I'm trying to say. It doesn't have to be your story. See, we all don't know what we'll do on that day, right? We, we think we don't know, but there are things we can do today to get us ready for that day. There are ways we can live now to prepare us for then, amen? Now, look, maybe your past, you've bowed down to those pressures. Maybe in your past, you've made mistakes. Maybe you've, like, without sugarcoating, maybe you've walked out on your family. Maybe you've walked out on your spouse. Maybe you've given up on your children. Maybe you've, you've messed around uh, with, with people that you're not married to. Maybe that's in your past. I, I don't know, but it's not too late for a redemption story. Amen? See, what did Jesus do when he found the, 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 this, this lady? See, a whole bunch of people caught her in the middle of some hookery, and, and, so, and they drag her out, and that is a word. Don't, 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 don't fight me. Um, that's a word. And so she's down there, and, and, and then and, and God, Jesus writes something in the stand, and then he says to the dudes that want to stone her, because isn't it funny, right? The world will stone you when you mess up. The, they think we're nasty because we got standards, but we have grace for everyone that doesn't meet those standards. That's the thing. We got a really high standard way up here. In fact, all I've ever been able to do with the standards in the Word of God in my entire life is point to them all. I haven't even made it to them all, right? But every time we mess up, there is grace upon grace upon grace. The world, they, don't, they say they don't have any standards, but if you mess up, you're dead. They will cancel you. They will end you. They will stone you, right? But it's the opposite in the kingdom. There are standards and then there's grace for those who don't meet them yet. Amen. So Jesus says, hey, if y'all haven't sinned, stop throwing stones at her. And they all walk away. Then Jesus looks at her, the woman caught hooking, right? She was doing bad, th nasty things, right? And then, and then he says to her, hey, where have your accusers gone? Neither do I condemn you. The only one that was sinless and could have thrown a stone, neither do I condemn you, but let's not do this anymore. That's the beautiful thing about grace. It's, yeah, that sucks. I don't condemn you, but, but let's not do this anymore. So those of you who maybe you got divorced and you're remarried, right? Here's what Jesus says to you. 
hey, I don't condemn you, but let's not do that again. This time, let's stick with it. Amen. This time, let's stand up. This time, let's honor God in our marriage. Amen. It's, saying, it's not saying, hey, you suck because you got divorced. It's saying, hey, let's just not do that again. It can be better. You're not who you were. You may have bowed down then, but you're not going to bow down again. Amen. We're going to give you some tools from the word of God so that though that may have been in your past, it will not be in your future. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> so those of you who have given up in the past and don't want to ever again, and those of you who perhaps that evil day has never come yet, I want to tell you how you can stand firm on the hardest days of your life because standing firm on that day will stop even harder days to follow. Amen. So what you got to do is what it says in Ephesians, and put on the armor of God. Amen. <clears throat> Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. Having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The first tool that you need to start living your life with is the belt of truth. If you want to stand firm on that evil day, then today, buckle on the belt of truth of truth. Now that sounds confusing. What does it even mean? I like the way it comes sort of directly out of the original Greek text and, and the way you would say it in English like a directorate would be gird up your loins with truth. Now it's all right. They say put on the belt of truth because that makes sense for people now. But it was gird up your loins with truth. Now, now what does that mean, gird up your loins Y'all ever know what a loin is, right? It's the, the, the muscles in your lower back. But it's also, and sorry, it's also your crutch area, all right? So it's your lower back and your crutch area are your loins. What's interesting about your loins is a significant part of your God-given identity is tied to your loins, Right? We talked about it a few months ago, didn't we, in our sermon on gender, right? How we talked about in the beginning how God made the male and female, and we spent a lot of time really digging in and diving into the, to the original Hebrew, and then in New Testament scriptures, the original Greek, and we looked at and we discovered that the scriptures are very intentionally, over the top intentionally clear that, that, that our imago Dei, our image-bearing status with God, is tied to our gender or our sex, right? And that what happens is we, we cannot be entirely defined by our gender, but we cannot entirely be defined without our God-given gender. And we will never be happier in life than lining our identity in all aspects of it up with God's design, right? But what I love about this scripture here is that everybody that this was written to knew that my loins are my lower back where my belt sits and also the area of my body that a significant part of my identity is tied to. So what's he saying? He's saying in this is an area in your life where the devil wants to take people out in, in, in their identity and in sexuality and in, and in marriage, right? And these are areas, one of the biggest tools the devil will throw at you is trying to get you to run out on your wife, to run out on your husband, to destroy your life, to, to get confused about your identity. And God says to gird that part of your life up with the truth. Isn't that interesting? That God says you need to protect that part of your life with the truth. Now, he's not just saying protect that part of your life with truth. He's talking about truth in general, but very specifically also understand that you need to know who God made you. 
and line your life up with that and never believe a lie there. If you want to make sure you don't cheat on your wife, you want to make sure you don't cheat on your husband, the truth, the truth will protect you as you gird up your loins. The other thing about gird up your loins, and it's a complicated statement, right? Um, Because you're like, I don't even know what this girding thing is, right? So in Bible times, everybody knew this when this was said, uh, that, that the, the men wore a like, a like a long robe type thing, right? And when they're in the home um, where their loins can be vulnerable and, and whatever else because they're with their spouse, hello, right? The, 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 their dress robey thing would be just hanging down. Now, the problem is it was really long. And so what they would do when they leave the house, because they don't want to get tripped over by their loincloth. So they would pick it up and then they would pull it through the back and then grab two sides, bring it around and tie it up. It looked like a diaper. It's hilarious, right? And so they would gird up their loins and tie it up. God is saying, hold that all up with the truth. Hold it up. The belt of, hold that up with the truth. Be truthful about who you are. Honor God in who God created and designed you to be, amen. And these things will protect you from throwing your life away for 30 minutes of pleasure. He's also talking about just truth in general. I do love it. I feel like if Paul was here right now, the way he'd say it to you is he'd be like, put your pants on and hold them up with the truth. Come on, you want to keep your pants on? Get obsessed with the truth. Be a truth person, amen? The devil wants you to be a liar like he is. The devil is a liar. He lies and he lies and he lies and he wants you to be just like him. Don't be like the devil. Y'all sing that song when you're a kid, oh sorry, that old adage. Liar, liar, pants on fire, hanging by a telephone wire while you're there, cut your hair, stuff it down your underwear. Y'all, anyone sing that? Yeah? Hands up if you only just learnt the whole thing just then. You're like, I'd only heard line one. <laughs> Hands up if you knew it already. Yeah, good. We got some fun people who are like, I want the whole song. Come on. All right? Listen, nothing will pull your pants down faster than a lie. That's the message of this song. Isn't it interesting that song we all sung as kids is so biblically accurate? That you'll set your pants on fire, ruin your life, expose yourself to everybody when you tell lies, when you don't care about the truth. Nothing will drop your loincloth faster than living a life of lies. That loincloth will get in your way. See, you can't go to battle with a loincloth dragging down by the ground. You'll run, you'll trip over, they'll grab hold of it, they'll throw you to the ground. Come on. The devil wants to make you a liar just like him because it will bring folly into your life. But God calls us to be people of the truth, right? People who preach the truth, love the truth, speak the truth, receive the truth. God calls you to be a person of the truth. Now, I know because we got a whole bunch of truth-loving believers at Eternity Church, right? I know y'all are like, yeah, preach, I preach, you know. They love the truth. They're like, my pastor preaches the truth, you know. You say something good, they're like, oh, ain't that the truth, you know. They love that. But, but here's the thing. I ain't just talking about that. I'm talking about you telling the truth. I'm not just talking about quoting the word. See, let's not get the belt of truth mixed up with the sword of the spirit. They're two different things. All right? The sword of the spirit's coming later. The truth is, do you know truth? Do you speak truth or do you lie like the devil? In everything. Not just preach or preach, but also... 
Did you lie to your husband? Did you lie to your wife? Do you tell the truth? When you got that new car and you came home and your wife's like, how much was it? And you're like, they gave it to me. <laughs> Y'all know that TikTok thing, right? They, they gave it to me. No, it was $89,000, right? Like, do you tell the truth? Do you speak the truth, right? Is the truth in your mouth? The book of Revelation goes so far as to say in chapter 21 that as for all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That's brutal. Hey, God cares about the truth. And it matters, amen. God's pretty serious about the truth. So much so that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is called the way, the life, and the truth. Be like Jesus. The truth always matters to God. Always. You're a little white lie. It ain't a little white lie. It's a lie. And it's a moment where you imitated the devil instead of your Savior. It's the, it's the, the truth always matters, amen? It always matters to God, and it needs to always matter to us. See, not because, not because we're like, oh, a little white lie won't hurt us. No, it will hurt you. It's not just about it does honor God to tell the truth, yes, but, but it will hurt you if you lie. It might not hurt you in that situation, but you're dropping your loincloth. Come on, we don't bow down and lie. We won't lie just because everybody else is. We won't lie because it seems, seems like no one will know and it won't hurt anybody. It'll only bless me. It'll be just fine, right? We won't lie because it can help us. We won't lie to try and make ourselves look good because we're wearing the belt of truth. And truth isn't a situational thing. It's a command from God. We're called to be people of the truth, even if it seems like it might hurt us. Amen. When people say things like, well, what does it have to do with you? Why can't you just agree with Why can't you just affirm that? Why can't you just roll with this? Listen, what does it have to do with me? Everything. If it's a lie, I can't support it. The devil is the father of lies. And so that lie that y'all believe is coming from the father of lies, the devil. And he's roaming around trying to destroy you. If it's a lie, I can't support it. Why? I want to keep my pants on. I don't want to trip over my loincloth. Come on. And so before that evil day ever comes, be in the habit of being a man or a woman of the truth. Amen. Be in the habit of speaking, preaching, teaching, loving, and honoring the truth in your life. Don't be a liar like the devil. Speak the truth like your Savior. Can I get an amen? Don't worry, that was my longest point of the day. It's all good. You're going to get out of here before dinner, I promise. Come on. Lunch. I meant lunch. All right. The next one is the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. What's that? See, it sounds like some fancy big theological term, right? Righteousness, yeah. But righteousness actually just means right with God. It means that I have right standing with God. I'm in good standing, you know, you're at your bank. I'm in good standing with my bank, you know what I mean? I'm in, I'm in good standing with my friends. I'm in good standing with God. According to God, I'm righteous. Come on, y'all, look at me. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Come on, look at your neighbor say, you're righteous. If you're married to them, say, you're righteous, baby. <clears throat> like, you're righteous. Those of us who believe in Jesus Christ have been made and have made Jesus Christ Lord of our lives, we're righteous. We're in good standing with God. 
The reason this is important when it comes to standing firm in your faith is because in your past, you have done some nasty things. You have. In your past, you've done some dumb things, some terrible, no good, rotten things, right? In your past, you've lied and cheated and stole, humiliated people, maybe yourself. We've done sinful things, but it's not who we are, amen? Those things, those mistakes, they're not who I am. They're not who you are. And if you want to beat the enemy, you need to understand that you are righteous regardless of what mistakes you've made in the past. That chick that was caught in hookery, she ain't a hooker because she got saved. She's a daughter of the King of Heaven. Amen. Come on. She is pure and holy and righteous because Jesus said so. The breastplate of righteousness protects your heart. Because one of the most efficient ways the devil can get you to bow down is to convince you that you already have. You're already down there. You're already messed up. You're on the ground. Let's make it official. Raise the white flag. To which you reply, in Christ, quoting 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ, I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. Of God, Y'all need to write that down. If you've got your notepads here, if you don't, next week, bring your notepad because you're a Christian. Uh, get, get your notepad. You're going to write that down. Maybe it's in your phone. You're going to write down 2 Corinthians 5.21. That right there is your breastplate of righteousness. I am righteous. I, in Christ, I am the righteousness of God. Amen. My righteousness never came from my behavior. So since I didn't earn it, I didn't unearn it. I'm in right standing with God because Jesus Christ made it so. And that's the helmet of salvation too, hello, right? I'm saved because he saved me. I'm righteous because he's righteous. I made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life, so I got a helmet of salvation, and now I'm wearing a breastplate of righteousness too. Someone say amen. The third one is the shoes of peace. Y'all ever watched a fight, MMA fight, anything like that? Anyone watch, anyone like watching that? I love it. It's awesome, right? A bunch of violent people in the crowd here love watching fights. I love watching fights. In fact, a friend of mine told me this week that they're starting a fight company, and I'm like, giddy up, I'm coming to the first fight. I cannot wait. This is awesome, right? Like, like I'm super excited about it, right? And so super excited to see Joe fight someone in his basement. And so, <laughs> and so. But if you've ever watched a fight, one thing you'll know is that, like, sure footwork is very important, Right? And before we even get too far into the, into the shoes, listen to this. Wearing the shoes of peace doesn't mean you keep the peace. Everybody wants Christians to be peacekeepers. The, the, the scriptures don't say we're peacekeepers. It says we're peacemakers. There is a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. A peacekeeper goes somewhere where there is peace and is like, and is like Oh, yeah, I'm not going to mess this up, yada, yada, yada. I'm not gonna, I don't want to rock the boat. A peacemaker says, this place is jacked up. Y'all need Jesus. And start speaking the truth up in here, amen. We're called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. But I digress. The shoes of peace don't mean we got to keep peace with everybody. It means in our battle, we have peace. That in spite of what's going on around us, no matter how messed up the world seems, I've got peace in the middle 
of the battle. That even though I'm standing right by a fiery furnace that King Neb says he's going to throw me in, I've still got peace. And when you got the shoes of peace, the, 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 the shoes that come with, sorry, the, your feet fitted with the readiness of the shoes of peace, right? The readiness, you're ready. You're not sitting here freaking out going, ah, 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 all full of anxiety, stressed about the battle. No, no, your feet are ready for some pretty fancy footwork as you go to battle. You got peace, and so you aren't distracted. You got peace. You don't have anxiety. You don't have worry in the middle of the battle. You got peace, amen? That means that our decisions are based on what's right and true, seeking peace with God over peace with mankind, amen? This is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to say, God will save us, but if he doesn't, we won't bow down. Because their peace didn't come from the situation being fixed. The peace they had in their heart came from knowing that it was the right thing to do, and I'm in right standing with God. Amen. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I want to tell every one of you in here, whether you're in a battle or not, you can have peace even as you walk into the fiery furnace. If you, if you don't have peace right now at the end of this service, you need to come down the front and say, God, I ask for your peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense that I would have peace in the middle of this battle. It doesn't make sense that I'd have the peace as I'm in and out of hospital. It doesn't make sense that I'd have peace when I just got some bad news from my spouse. It doesn't make sense, but God, I ask you for that peace that surpasses all understanding, for a peace that the world can't take away. Praise God. The fourth one is the shield of faith. And I am genuinely running out of time, and so I'm going to sort of go quick on this one so we can get to the sword. But when Paul wrote this, all the Roman soldiers, they had these massive big shields that they carried around, right? They were about two feet wide, four feet high. They were covered in a thick, like real, not like this, like not like a lining, but like thicker than the steel it's on, right? A thick animal hide, a really thick piece of leather. And what the soldiers would do is they would dip their shield in a vat of water, right? They wanted it soaked in water so that the enemy's fiery darts didn't bounce off a piece of steel and set something on fire, but stuck into the thick, soaking wet animal hide and it put out those darts. It, it extinguished those darts. And when Paul wrote that you would have the shield of faith able to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy, that's what he was talking about. A shield that when their fiery darts come at you, bang, they hit that shield of faith and they're put out. You're going to need to keep your shield of faith soaking wet so that the darts and the lies of the enemy don't get any traction. You need to soak your shield in faith. Amen. You got to keep your shield wet with the testimonies of all the good things that God has done in your life. Psalm 9.1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount his wonderful deeds. You need to write down and you need to journal out all the wonderful deeds that God has done in your life. So when the devil comes at you with a dart that says he's left you, you can look back at the last 20 years and say, he was there, he was there, he was there on my worst day. He never left me he was there and he was here and he was here and I took a step of faith over there and he came through with that and he's with me today devil back off you need to write it out I'm not I'm giving you homework church you, you need to write out the wonderful deeds that God has done in your life what I love about Psalm 9 is after he says I will recount sorry I recount all his wonderful deeds he then doesn't go on and he's not just like Thanks for my Lamborghini. 
thanks for my new fancy job title. He didn't, it wasn't even like, thanks for my kids, you know. He was like, you crossed that enemy. You stomped on that enemy. You turned them away from me, and you can do it again. Amen. Write down what God has done in your life. Amen. I'll say this one real quick so I can move on. The other thing about the faith is you need to keep flexing your faith. You need to keep working that muscle. See, faith is like a muscle in the gym. You don't use it, you lose it. Like, listen, you don't take any faith steps in your life and all of a sudden you're confronted with the most evil day of your life. I don't think you're going to have enough faith on that day. But Scripture tells us to flex our faith all the time. Take small steps of faith, building up. Just, you know what? And, and there was a dude in the Bible that come up to Jesus and says, can you heal my daughter? Oh, sorry, can you heal this person? And uh, Jesus says to him, look, anything is possible for those who believe. And the dude responds and says to Jesus, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. If you don't have enough faith, you need to ask God to build your faith. To God, give me more faith. But when you pray that prayer, get ready. Get ready to take a step of faith tomorrow. You pray today, God, build my faith. Something's happened tomorrow. You're going to be in the middle of a coffee at a cafe somewhere. Some rando's going to be like, man, I've got a headache. And you're going to be like, well, I guess I'm praying for you at the cafe. Right? You're going to say yes to that. Then someone's going to say, you know what? I got, pen, I got, uh, I got appendicitis. You're going to say yes and you're going to pray for that. Then someone's going to say, I got cancer. And you're like, well, he did the headache. He did the appendicitis. He can do the cancer. Pray for that. Then someone's going to say, my wife left me, walked out, completely left me. And she backed over my dog on the way out. And, and I just prayed that she will come back. I know that all that I pray. And you're going to be like, I got faith for that. Why? Because I said yes to praying for the headache. I said yes to praying for appendicitis. I said yes to the cancer. I can believe for this restoration too. You need to flex your faith. Amen. You got to keep flexing your faith. And when you ask God to build your faith, get ready. The last one is the sword of the Spirit. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you've got to be in the Word. This one is the Word. People get it and the first one mixed up. You've got to be in the Word. If you want to be able to stand before kings and say things like, I ain't ever bowing down, then you need to be in the Word. You need to be in the Word of God. And you need to not only be in the Word, you need to swing it, all right? You don't just need to know it, you need to swing it. You need to wield it, amen? In Bible times, when the Roman soldiers, again, when Paul wrote this, the Roman soldiers walked around with a sword. The blade was 24 inches long, sharp on both sides and pointed on the end. Jesus, uh, sorry, doesn't, the Scriptures tells us that the Word of God is like a double-edged sword. It was talking about this massive sword that the Roman soldiers walked around with. Sharper and living and sharper than a two-edged sword. Roman sword. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, right, what did he do? He quoted the word of God. He gave scriptures to Satan to resist his temptations. And there ain't a better example in all the word of God than Jesus. Amen. How did Jesus resist and defeat the enemy with a, with a weapon that is defensive and offensive? He went at him with the word of God. He would quote it out loud. He wasn't like in his head being like, No, he's, at, he's a, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
You need to take God's promises, speak the Word of God, speak the promises of God out loud, swinging them around like a sword. Not just saying them. Man doesn't live by bread alone. Man don't live by bread alone, right? Like, like you do, listen, you ever seen someone have a fight? They're not like, pew. Like, you know, like they get into it, right? You seen someone have a sword fight, right, in the movies? They're not like, oh, cut off that head and cut off that arm. No, they're like, I'm going to kill you, right? Like you need to wield the word of God like you're trying to kill the enemy. You need to get at it. You need to yell at him, amen? Anyone in here play any racket sports? Give me a wave. <clears throat> a couple of people. So I, I, I played squash in Australia. Um, I was pretty good at it. Uh, when I moved here, I really wanted to play squash again. Um, but, but I moved to Des Moines. And when I first moved here, there was no squash courts. All they had was racquetball courts. And all my mates, they're like, what's, what's squash? And they, they go, is it like racquetball? And they're like, come play racquetball with us. And I'm like, squash is like racquetball, but for men. And, 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 and I couldn't find anywhere to play. You think I'm joking. In Australia, it's all the women that play racquetball, right? And the men. <clears throat> now, this, this, this is back before the pandemic when Australian men were men. Anyway, back when they were tough, you know. So anyway, I used to play, I used to play squash and I was ruthless, right? Like, I know I mean ruthless. I'm like, I just want to destroy you and win. That's me, right? Like, anyone else play sport like that? You're like, I want to crush your skull and I want to win, right? I don't care what happens to you. I don't care if you get injured and can't play for the rest of your life. I just want to win. Anyone else? Give me a wave, right? Like, that's how I play sport. That's how I played squash, right? To win squash, you've got to win 11 points in one game, right? Um, and it's the best of five games. Well, one week I was asked to play up a level because you're not allowed to ask someone on your level to replace you because that's not, you know, that's not fair. What if you get the best person to play against them, you know? And so you have to ask someone from a lower level, not from an above level. I was in the second level and I got asked to play in the top level one week. And when I served, I just had this thing. I just want to scare the snot out of everybody with my first serve. I just want them to know from the first serve that you're going to die, you know? It's up to you how long it takes. That's, that's what I wanted my first serve to be. And I would wield this racket, and I would pull it all the way back, leg in there, and it would touch my butt, like as far back, and they just, boom! And it would, like a, like a shotgun, it would hit that wall and bounce back. Now, my deal was, on the first serve of every game, I aim for the chest. As hard and as fast as I can. I just want to beat you. I want to knock the wind out of you. I want you to get ticked off. I want you to lose your mind so that the rest of the game, I'm in control, right? And so that's how I start every game. So I got asked to play up, and so I just, boom, bang, smack them right in the chest as fast and hard as I possibly can. And they were so mad they lost their mind. Then I just served it again, served it again, served it again. They didn't even hit it once. 11 points, my game. Next game, 11-0. Next game, 11-0. Destroyed them. That's the match. It took me 12 minutes. <laughs> Anyone else play like that, right? They got so angry. <clears throat> they were furious at me, at the ref, at Everybody in the building, kind of like that high school that complained last week about losing a basketball game, 94 to 4, saying it was unsportsmanlike. I'm like, then train better. 
who else is like me in that regard? You're like, then do better if you don't want to lose. Wave at me like, you know, so I really see your face, right? Hands up if you're the other one. You're like, come on, be a little sportsman-like, right? Hands up if that's you. Yeah, we will crush you. And you will die. The next season, I got moved up a level, right? Because that, you know, makes sense. And so I, I got moved up a level. And what I, one of the first couple of games of the season, I was scheduled, I was rostered to play against that same person again. They didn't turn up. Just didn't come. Weren't even there for the whole night. A few weeks later, we were scheduled to fight again. I, I, sorry, I mean play. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then, I did say fight, didn't I? Anyway. Um, and, and they didn't realize that they're going to fight me. And so they start walking on the court and they see me. I didn't even know they didn't read a roster or something. They walk on, they see me. And they refused to get on the court. They said, they don't feel safe with the way I play so hard. <laughs> Thing is, when I'm in a fight, I don't give a crap how you feel. I'm going to crush you. Right? I just want to still be standing at the other end. Come on, right? So I keep swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging. Now, there's a point to all this. Y'all need to be like that with the sword of the Spirit. Just keep swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging. You need to fall in love with the Word of God. You need to memorize the Word of God. You know memory verses? It's not a kid thing. Like, y'all need to teach it to your kids so y'all need it in your heart. You, you need to get in the Word, fall in love with the Word, memorize the Word and swing it as hard as you can. Don't stop swinging that sword until every last enemy is dead. Amen. You want to you crush him so hard that next time, crush him so hard that next time he planned to fight you, he doesn't even want to turn up. So you got to understand, we all know that when we lose a fight to the devil, we get hurt. Y'all got to understand, this is a spiritual war and he gets hurt too. And I want to hurt him so bad, he doesn't want to come at me again. On the day he takes his biggest swing, I want him to get so wounded. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go for that guy next time. And then what he won't know is, I'm going to turn up there too. What are you doing? Playing up a level. Going for my mate, you're going for me. Seriously, too many Christians, they, 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 they get all this traction in their lives and they stop swinging. See, these, these, these basketball things, they're like, oh, you've got to give them a chance. They have a chance. That's why they're here. Now I killed them. Right? Like, they're like, in what world do you give the enemy a moment to hit you? In, in what world? See, in fact, I think that's even, even worse, even more prideful and cocky. You're like, I got this. I can handle this now. I'm going to give you a break, devil. Hey, devil, you want a break? Like we, we, we were alcoholics and we said, I'm never, ever drinking again because I don't ever want to be an alcoholic again. Then 20 years later, we're like, it's 94 to zero. You know what? I'm going to give you four points. So I'm going to go to the bar and have a drink with some friends and throw it all away. 
don't stop swinging. Come on, don't stop swinging. Can I get an amen? Can, would you all stand up with me as we get ready to figure out how to land the plane? May you stand firm and swing so hard that he doesn't want to come and play again. Amen. Stand firm in truth. See, these are things, I'm telling you these things, so that before that day comes, you're strong and you're ready. Amen. Stand firm and be a person of the truth. Know where your righteousness comes from. Ask God for your peace, not your situation. Have faith, flex it, remember it. Know the word of God and swing it and don't stop swinging. So that way, when the push comes to shove and the devil takes his biggest swing, that you can say, I'm staying in this marriage. God's going to heal it. But even if he doesn't, I'm staying in this marriage because I made a promise before God and God said I need to stay. Too many Christians, even Christians, like we're all like, oh, gay marriage ruined the sanctity of marriage. I think that the amount of Christians getting divorced did a bang up job of ruining the sanctity of marriage before that ever even came along. Ouch. I ain't saying that's right. That is even worse. But come on, Christians. You're going to stay married while it's fun or because you believe God can heal it. And even if he didn't, you made a promise to him. So you're going to honor your wife. You're going to honor your husband. Amen. Amen. It's a pretty rough word this weekend, isn't it? I'm not bowing down to culture. God's going to fix our country. But even if I'm the last one left standing, I'm not going to bow down. We won't bow down to this sickness. We won't bow down to anxiety. God's going to heal it. I'm not going to make peace with anxiety. You know, like people do that. They're like, I got this sickness. I guess this will be my thorn in the side. Not unless you decide it's going to be a thorn in your side. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to make peace with sin. I'm not going to make peace with obesity. I'm not going to make peace with anxiety. I'm not going to make peace with sickness. No, God's going to heal it. And plus, I don't need to make peace with it anyway. My peace didn't come from my body. It came from my Savior. Amen. Some people in here need to put on the armor now, today, so you're ready on that day. Amen. On that evil day, the outcome is not yet written. But if you commit to being a person of the truth, if you know that your righteousness comes from God, not your past behavior, if you find your peace in Jesus, not your situation, if you flex and remember what God has done, if you get in the word, and swing it till every last enemy is dead. On that evil day, you won't throw your life away. You'll still be standing. And your family will thank you. I'm so thankful that my dad was a man of the word. I'm so thankful that my mom was a man of the word. Amen. Your family will thank you. If this word is spoken to you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for people that have been loose with the truth. I want to pray for people that have... Not just being loose with the truth, but perhaps even just affirmed untruths. Being afraid to be a person of the truth. Maybe your pants have been fallen down. I want to pray for people that are struggling with their past mistakes, feeling like they've been identified by what they've done wrong.
It's not who you are. You may have messed it all up, told untruths, but that's not who you are. What will we do today moving forward? Amen. I want to pray for people who lack peace, that you'd find peace in Jesus Christ. I want to pray that God will give you opportunities to flex your faith muscles. Amen. And I want to pray that God helps you fall in love with the book and swing it and don't stop swinging it. The devil comes against you with a lie and a myth, but you come against him with the word of the Lord. The devil tells you, you're going to live like this forever. Hey, I know Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God has plans to bless me, prosper me and fill my life with hope. So sit down and shut up, devil. I got this, amen. If that's you, any one of those areas, you want me to pray that God would help you. Perhaps you're in the middle of that day. I don't know. You just want me to pray for you right now. Would you lift up your hand? Just put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Praying for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person who's lifted up their hand saying that a piece of my armor is broken, is weak, or has not been on my body. Lord God, I pray right now that you'd strengthen people. God, that you help them to be strong and ready for the battle. God, that when it comes to being a person of the truth, that you would help us to know the truth. God, you would help us to speak the truth, to guard our hearts, our marriages, our sexuality, God, with the truth and to speak the truth, Lord God. Help us not to make peace with little white lies or little opportunities that come with deceit, Lord God, that we wouldn't only not lie, but we would be truthful like our Savior is truthful, Lord God. I pray you should Shine up that piece of armor in their lives, God, that their loins would be girded up with the truth, Lord. And God, I pray they would understand that if they haven't been truthful, they can admit it. And that's not who they are now, that they are righteous because you say they are righteous. That God, everyone in this room, no matter what nasty thing we did in the past, we are not the sum of our past mistakes. We are righteous in right standing with God. And because of that, our prayers are powerful and effective. God, help everyone of us to have supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding as we submit our lives and our decisions to the Prince of Peace. May His peace fall upon us. Fill our hearts in Jesus' name. God, I pray you help us to remember the times and the battles that we've won with you, God, in our lives. God, help us to remember every moment, every wonderful thing that you've done and to take the opportunities moving forward to flex that faith muscle, that we would say yes to steps of faith. We wouldn't back down, but we would grow in faith, that we could extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And Lord God, lastly, I pray, help us to fall in love with your book, fall in love with the Word of God, that in any situation and in all battles, we would say, what does the book say? Bring the book. What does the Word of God say about this? And God, we would declare it and we would wield it and we would swing it at the enemy and we would not stop swinging the word of God, not stop swinging God, never stop swinging because God, we don't want to give him a point. And God, I pray that in this church on that day that the devil runs away, scared to ever fight somebody from this church again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise if you receive that.
I got one more thing. I'll take about two minutes. I ask if y'all could please stay with us for those two minutes. I don't want to distract people with doors and lights and stuff like that. So please stay with us for two minutes. If you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, before we close the service every week, we give you an opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. We've never had a weekend without that happening. We've never had a weekend without a bunch of people giving their lives to Christ. Last year, 900 people gave their lives to Christ at Eternity Church. 900. Everybody wants to know the truth, amen. Where it's preached, where he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. I want you to give your life to Christ. If you're away from God, I want you to give your life to Christ today. You need to give your life to Christ. You can't keep doing it this way. You know that. You know, you can't just keep living life just wondering, should I do this or that? Or just unsure of anything, all alone and desperate for help when God wants to help you. Scripture says all through it, but so perfectly summed up and affirmed in Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a future full of hope. God has good plans for you. He also says never to harm you. It's not his plan to harm you. That always comes from the enemy. And so today, I'm just asking you to give your life to Christ. Say, God, I'm willing to line my life up with your word. And I know you'll pour out your favor and blessing on my life and on the generations that come. And so today, to do that, you've got to pray a prayer. Scripture says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. It doesn't matter what nasty things you've done in the past. The whole sermon, I talked about that, right? It doesn't matter. He died on a cross and paid the price for your sins. What matters is how now are we going to live? Let's choose today to live for Him. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray a prayer one line at a time. I want you to speak it out with your mouth one line at a time. Believe it in your heart and according to the Word of God, you're saved. So everybody in the room... And especially the, everybody, so no one's praying it alone. But especially those who are away from God. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Everybody after me, dear God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on a cross for my sin. And He rose again to give me life, hope, joy, peace, and eternal life. I receive all of that. And I receive your forgiveness for my sin. And I receive this brand new life with you as my Lord and Savior. I ask for your help to leave my sin behind and to become all you've designed me to be. I give you my life. You are my Lord. And I know you're my Savior. And I ask for your help to live this life the way you designed it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Isn't that good? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Eternity Church. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.